Section 37 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 The Evidence from the Constitution of Colonial or Compound Animals. Part 4. Yet whilst the plant world has not as a whole advanced towards the higher phases of individuality, we may discern here and there within its limits signs of that universal progress which evolution postulates and which biological research reveals. Here and there we witness among plants a progression from the prevailing colonial organization towards singleness of type. The composite race of plants derive their name from the fact that each flower of the order is not a single flower, but a collection of florets. A thistle, or a daisy head, for example, is not one flower in the sense in which a buttercup, or lily, is single, but is an aggregation of small, stalkless flowers, closely packed together on one main stalk. If we examine the thistle head, we shall find it to consist of numerous little flowers, of similar appearance, each containing the essential organs and parts seen in other single flowers. In the centauries of our waysides and cornfields, we witness the same composite structure of the flower head, but here the outermost florets of the head have begun to develop into petal-like organs and have lost their stamens and pistils. The centauri, in other words, has developed the beginning of a low individuality. It is losing its completely compound nature and is advancing towards the singleness of type of ordinary flowers. Thus, in Centauria nigra, these outer florets vary in size. They may resemble the inner ones in size or may be larger, and they may want both stamens and pistils. In another species, C. scabiosa, stamens and pistils never occur in the outer florets, and in Centauria cyanus, likewise, these florets are useless for reproduction and are passing towards the type and function of ordinary petals. So also in the familiar dandelions we may witness a stage in advance of the thistle, for whilst the latter plant has its florets similar and inconspicuous, the dandelion has added to its similar florets the bright corollas, which serve to render this wayside plant so conspicuous to insect eyes as well as to our own perception. When the dandelion appears with its outer florets expanded, while the inner florets have still to unfold, the flower bears no inconsiderable resemblance to the ordinary type of single flower. Far more advanced, however, towards the individuality of other plants are the marigolds, daisies, and their allies. Here the likeness of the single flower deceives the non-botanical observer into supposing that each daisy in reality corresponds to each buttercup or primrose in its constitution. For the outer florets of the daisy and marigold have developed, as those of the centauries are developing, into long petal-like organs. Moreover, these outer florets are losing the reproductive organs they still possess in the dandelion. The stamens have disappeared in the outer white and yellow flowers of the daisy and marigolds, respectively, leaving the pistil alone represented, whilst the yellow central florets possess both stamens and pistil, and are therefore the true producers of seed. It is foreign to our present inquiry to notice how this arrangement of the flower parts, by placing the brightly colored parts on the outside, imparts to these plants their conspicuous nature, and thus, by attracting insects, gives them a very marked advantage in the struggle for existence, through securing more frequent fertilization. How or why this greater attractiveness has been acquired is immaterial. That which is all important for us to note 
is that concurrently with a conspicuous dress, there is being developed in such flowers as the daisies and marigolds a return to that singleness and individuality which was in all probability once represented in their race before the work of aggregating once separate flowers to form one flower head had begun the thistles remain types of a true flower colony the dandelions and centauries lead us from the thistles with similar florets to an intermediate type wherein we see being developed those features which along with the abortion of part of the outer florets are causing the compound flower to assume the dress of its simple neighbor whilst in the daisies specialization has advanced a step further and has developed a very marked likeness to the simple flowers around if these modifications progress in the future as in the past we may naturally expect the flores vita and rida of chaucer and their allies will develop a still more marked individuality and will leave the lower compound nature of their race further and further behind it may be lastly interesting to note that the crowding together of flowers on a flower head seen in the daisies and their neighbors is susceptible of explanation through a study of the modifications and gradations witnessed in the arrangement of flowers on their axes from cases in which we find flowers situated each on a distinct stalk of its own as in the corum and the umbel of botanists to the condition of the flower head we can pass by easy gradations if we cut short the stalks of the umbel and thus crowd the separate flowers on the end of a common stalk we obtain a fair idea of the possible origin of a flower head by abortion of the flower stalks of an umbel or allied floral arrangement the fact that such crowding of flower heads on a common stalk is not limited to the compositi or daisy tribe but occurs in other plant orders argues powerfully in favor of its acquired nature as the result of common modifying conditions thus a head of clover essentially repeats the condition of the thistle or centauri we can obtain a fair idea of the effect of modification by the disappearance of flower stalks if we look at a simple umbel seen in the cherry or a compound umbel seen in the fool's parsley and by crowding the flowers together minus their stalks imagine their growth in one stalkless group to represent the flower head of the daisy or thistle summing up our studies in organic individuality we may say that firstly the original and primitive condition of all organic beings is a colonial condition this phase is exemplified primarily in the segmentation of the egg and in the cell multiplication of plant germs two features of so universal occurrence that we may lawfully claim for them a great importance in the evolution of the organism and a high antiquity in the history of living things it is likewise imitated in the so-called asexual reproduction of the lowest animals represented by the gregorini and amoebae a second conclusion that follows from the teachings of development may be expressed by saying that this tendency to division of substance is most typically seen in lower organisms where as exhibited in the sponges zoophytes and their allies the constitution of the individual is undeniably compound and where its advance is marked merely by the multiplication of new types of colonial and connected units we discover thirdly that the tendency to degradation and retrogression may likewise plainly develop the compound and colonial state it is highly probable that the tapeworms the ordinary worms and even the articulate animals themselves illustrate cases in which a primary development of like segments or colonial units 
through arrest of growth and through simple bodily division and repetition of like parts has paved the way for succeeding modification of the colonial type if the evolution of the centipedes insects spiders and crustaceans from a lower worm type be accepted as proved or even as probable the characteristic features of these animals must have been fundamentally derived from those colonial tendencies we see exhibited in the worms of today. A fourth conclusion teaches that the plant world is markedly colonial even in its highest types. The vegetative repetition of bud, leaf, and flower is simply a pure indication of colonial constitution exhibited in all that perfection of detail which has escaped the more forcible modification of the animal series. A fifth inference directs attention to the essentially colonial constitution of even the highest animals, as exhibited in their cellular structure and more especially in the independent constitution of many of their component cell elements. And a sixth and final conclusion is deducible from our studies, namely, that concentration of structure and function and the metamorphosis of the colony into the true individual is at once a cause and a result of the progressive tendency of life at large. The higher we rise in the scale of being, the more united and specialized do structure and function become. Such a tendency is represented, as we have seen, even amongst plants, in which the colonial and compound type tends to resolve itself into the simpler and more individualized phase. At the same time, we must recognize that, despite the functional unity of the highest animals, there remains in their relative cellular independence the traces of a colonial constitution, once universal, and still linking them by real as well as by transcendental bonds to lower and antecedent phases of existence. The topic of the personality of living beings, like most other biological subjects, relates itself more or less indirectly with matters personal and ethical which are far beyond the scope of the present study. But it is permissible in a closing sentence to remark that many of the characteristic traits of the life of the higher animals, including man himself, may perchance be traceable to an unconscious perpetuation of habits and customs which find their beginnings and germs in the lower colonial organisms whose history has just been discussed. The nervous acts of man and the higher animals generally, for instance, convince us that many of the functions of the brain and the automatic actions of the body, depending on the independent constitution of our nerve centers, may be legitimately explained by referring them as regards their origin to an originally colonial constitution and to a primitively colonial ancestry. Even a glance at the serial repetition of the bones or vertebrae in the spine of man or other backboned animal eloquently enough testifies to the apparent colonial constitution of these forms. There is a striking analogy, which has not escaped biological notice, between the arrangement of these segments in the vertebrata and the similar disposition of parts in the articulata or worm and centipede type. However the vertebrate's serial arrangement has originated, it may perhaps be held as legitimate evidence of compound nature, just indeed as the colonial nature of vertebrate tissues demonstrates that nature in another fashion, and so also with other phases of human relationship and functions. As the various detached buds of a hydra or the free-swimming buds of a zoophyte are still part and parcel of the individual constitution, or as the plant lice and bees, apparently of distinct personality, are in reality only parts of the connected colony, so in the sphere of human relationships the origin of the tribal connection or of the family constitution 
itself the most expressive of all human institutions, may perchance be found to exist in germ form in the hidden transcendental bond which the philosophy of the lower animal individuality discloses. The deep-seated affections and relationships which, collectively, we term the family and society, respectively, may have had their first beginnings in the connected series of interests which even the zoophyte series discloses to view. In other words, we are constituted as we are, gregarious, social, and ethical, because we are physically colonial by constitution, and because in our origin we are essentially of colonial and compound nature. And if such a thought be regarded as too improbable for realization, it should be borne in mind that our structural beginnings themselves are of the lowliest and simplest description. If the structural germs of the highest life begin, as they certainly do, under an animacular guise, is it overstepping the possibilities of natural facts to suggest that the social traits and characteristics to which that germ attains may likewise have had a lowly and material beginning? Such an idea, so far from possessing any elements of impossibility, is grounded on a rational basis, namely, on that opinion which teaches that community of origin may, and often does, entail similarity of results. Sufficient has been said to show that in human existence reign many of the colonial traits of lower spheres, and if, perchance, some dim echoes of such lowly traits may linger in the scientific mind when contemplating the highest existence of all, the mind will regard such similarity as founded upon no chance basis, but as having originated from that continuity of cause and effect which runs unbroken through the warp and woof of the universe of life. End of section 37. Chapter 13. The Evidence from the Constitution of Colonial or Compound Animals. Part 4.